I'd like to spend a few minutes with you this morning here in Luke chapter 10 as we start a, um, a new mini-series of sorts uh, here at Ascension, one that I'm entitling Feasting with Jesus. Feasting with Jesus. Last week, after several months, uh, we finished looking at, uh, at the book of 1 Peter and the teaching that was found there, a book that was well-timed for us, written to a, a suffering church originally in the first century, uh, but a church that was longing for a kingdom to come, living in a place that wasn't really home. And boy, are we, are we feeling that longing these days, aren't we? A longing to be together again, a longing for normalcy, a longing to, to move about freely, a longing for, for work and for the ability to do and to be what we, what we are called to be. My friends, I remind you as I, as I prayed, as I just prayed, that God is, is using all of this. I want to encourage you to pray to that end. I can feel it in my own heart. I can hear it in your comments. I can sense it in our culture. In this season of Lent where we, uh, so many of us, voluntarily give up something, here we're having so many things mandatorily taken away from us. And so as I thought about a new series in light of where we have been, in light of where we are, in light of where we are going and what is coming up with Holy Week and, and Easter Sunday fast approaching. I wanted to simply focus our attention as a church, focus the attention of my own heart as your pastor, on the person of Jesus, on his heart, on his mission, on his invitation to come and to find rest in him. And of course, the, the whole New Testament and particularly the Gospels, they're, they're full of, of passages, of stories about Jesus, how, how, how to choose. Well, as I was searching and, and, and thinking about where I wanted to go, the phrase eating and drinking came to my attention. Jesus eating and drinking. A lot of us have probably been thinking about food these days, maybe more so than we normally think about food, whether it's stocking up and making sure we have enough food in the pantry, whether it is uh, slowly resisting the day-long graze through the food as you're working from home and the refrigerator is not too far away, or the fact that we can't go to our favorite restaurant with, with our loved ones. Food is important to us, but more than that, food and meals connect us. I, for one, have been relishing as a father, relishing the fact that it's much, much easier to have dinner together as a family these days than it was just a month ago when we had work schedules pulling in all kinds of dis different directions and now everyone's pretty much home. And the dinner hour is pretty much us at the table. I've loved this disruption because we all know that shared meals are important. After all, the word companion comes from two Latin words, cum meaning together and panis meaning bread. Together around bread. 
That's what a companion is. And so where am I going with all this? This is a really long introduction, Nate. I know. What does all this have to do with Jesus? Well, simply this. Jesus loved meals. And not just for the food, but more importantly, for the fellowship. Tim Chester, in his great little book, A Meal with Jesus, I have it on my shelf, you can borrow it if you'd like, notes that there are three ways that the New Testament completes this sentence. And the sentence is, the Son of Man came blank. And that title, that designation, the Son of Man, is is one that Jesus took for himself from Daniel's prophecy. It was one of his favorite designations. Uh, The Son of Man came blank. There's only three ways that the New Testament finishes that sentence. The first is Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second way, Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Well, those are two wonderful declarations of the why Jesus came. But the third way is from Luke 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. That's the how. Bottom line, Jesus loved coming over for dinner. He loved sharing bread and and sharing drink together with his friends. And the New Testament, particularly the book of Luke, is, is full of such occasions. And so, for the next few weeks, at least through Easter Sunday, maybe beyond, we are going to look at some of these occasions of the Son of Man eating and drinking. And we're going to learn what they teach us about who Jesus is and what that means for us. Are you hungry? I hope so. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm going to read it and I invite you to follow along. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious And troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Which will not be taken away from her. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Glory be to the Father. And to the Son. And to shall be world without end. Amen. 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 
I want to begin by asking a, a couple questions, which these are obviously rhetorical questions because I can't hear your answer, but you can answer out loud if you want. Um, first question is, what have you gotten done this week? How productive has your week been? And for those who are listening who are Christians in particular, how have you tangibly and effectively loved and served your neighbor this past week? Well, I don't ask those questions uh, to heap guilt on you this morning, but I suspect your week hasn't been mind-blowingly fruitful on either of those fronts. Sure, you've gotten some things done. Maybe you found some creative ways to love and to serve your neighbor, but it's been hard, right? It's been hard because where we are in the state of Washington, we are ordered to stay home. We are ordered to limit social interaction. We are ordered to not be out and about. Even with this gift of technology, a stay-at-home order and the admonition to practice what has now become a phrase for all of us, social distancing, has resulted in, in a challenge for us, at least the past week, a challenge for us to be doers. To be doers. But you know what? Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe that's a lesson that can be learned during this time. As I talk a little about this story this morning, I want to hang our, our thoughts on, on one truth found here. And I'm going to state it and then I'm going to try to explain it. And so kids, we have one point for you to write down. But under that one point, I'm going to talk about three different people. And so, under that one point, I want you to put three names. Martha, Mary, and Jesus. And then under those names, I want you to write one thing that you hear Pastor Nate talk about each of those characters. But here's the one point for today's sermon. Jesus wants your company, not just your service. Jesus wants your company, not just your service. In other words, Jesus wants you to sit at his feet first, to learn from him, to be with him before he wants you to do anything for him. Before we actually talk a, a minute about Mary and Martha, I want you to let your eyes in your Bibles, if you have them open, drift up to the story that precedes this one. Do you see the story that precedes this story of Mary and Martha? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's one of the most memorable and powerful stories in the Bible. Some of you who may have been listening who aren't familiar with the Bible, maybe you even know this story. You've even heard this tale. A man is mugged, he's beaten, he's left for dead, and is passed by, by the religious, only to be sacrificially cared for by one who is supposed to be his enemy. It's a beautiful story that Jesus tells. It's a story with a point. It's a story that teaches us not only who our neighbor ought to be, that is anyone in need, but the lengths that we ought to be willing to go to serve 
and love our neighbors around us. Jesus ends the story with this phrase, you go and do likewise. And then we come to this story. <laughs> this is not a dramatic event, right? This is, this is one of uh, 10,000 mundane moments in a person's life. And frankly, there, there, isn't a whole lot of, uh, there isn't a whole lot here. Just a few verses. A simple dinner with some friends that Jesus particularly loves. So why is it here? Well, I believe it's here not only, to re- not only to remind us to love our neighbors as ourselves, but to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Let me explain. Let's talk about the three characters, beginning with Martha. Luke describes that this house that Jesus goes into, in what we know as Bethany, Luke describes this house as Martha's house. Though Mary, and we'll learn later, but Lazarus as well, live there. It's probably the fact, due to the fact that that Martha was older, uh, that Martha took the, the leadership role in the house more than Mary. We don't know a whole lot about Martha. I picture Martha as being this, uh, this practical, uh, no-nonsense kind of woman. In fact, later in Jesus' life, after her brother Lazarus uh, dies and, and Jesus wants uh, Lazarus' tomb to be opened, uh, remember this story, what does Martha say to Jesus? Lord, it'll stink in there. And indeed, she's right. It it will stink. That's a very practical thing uh, to point out. She's right. And here in this story, she's doing right in her home, as far as we can tell. After all, Jesus is coming over. She's invited him. She's showing hospitality, something that the Bible praises and encourages among God's people. And she wants to make things extra special for this special guest. I mean, Martha's not in the kitchen watching Oprah. She's serving Jesus. Shoot, she probably wants to be at Jesus' feet with her sister listening to him, and yet she feels like she can't do it. There's There's so much to do. There's so much stuff that's got to get done. She's got a plan and it needs to be executed. Jesus, really? Don't you care that Mary is not even lending me a hand? Does she not hear all the pots and pans clanging? Well, that's Martha. And then there's Mary. I picture Mary as as far different than her sister, I'm assuming, I'm assuming she's not the firstborn. No, she's she's the free spirit. She's the one that will later in life, in in another story told, ironically, in that story, Martha is again described as serving. This, This story is found in John chapter 12. Mary is the one who will anoint Jesus's feet with expensive perfume, only to be rebuked by Judas as being wasteful. That's the kind of woman that Mary is. And here she is plopped at Jesus' feet with an expectation of what she's going to hear with submission to who he is and enjoyment in. 
hearing her Savior speak. I once heard a preacher helpfully describe the difference between these sisters in, in this way. Mary and Martha walk into a room together and up in the corner of the room is a cobweb with, with a spider in it. And Martha immediately heads to the garage to get a ladder and to, and to get a broom and to take care of that cobweb. And Mary immediately gets a sketchbook and a pencil and goes over and starts drawing the spider and the web. So here we have these two women and then finally Jesus, whose, whose words bring us to the point of this passage. Mary is sitting at his feet and he is allowing her to do so. We can't miss that fact. We can't miss that fact. In fact, through his words to Martha, he communicates that he wants her here. That this is a good place for her to be. This is an insignificant. Rabbis in this time and place didn't allow women to sit at their feet. They didn't allow women to be learners and disciples. That was for the men. And yet here is Jesus turning cultural norms on their head and welcoming Mary there. He will continue to do so. Let the little children come to me. Do not prevent them. But then he responds to Martha, who is described as distracted with much serving. He says, Martha, Martha. There's this, this, this magnification in the doubling of her name. And yet his tone is, is gentle and kind. You are anxious about so many things. Yes, Jesus, I, I'm serving you, would be maybe her answer. So what exactly is going on here? That's kind of the, the scene. Now let me get to the point. Some have argued that Jesus is calling here for monasticism. That Jesus is exalting the contemplative life or the, the contemplative personality over and against a life or a personality of activism. Brothers and sisters, that's not what this is about. This is about order. It's about priorities. It's about the tendency for all of our hearts to become performance-based. Even in our service for Jesus. Does Jesus want us to serve him? Does Jesus want us to love our neighbor sacrificially? Absolutely. Go and do likewise. He just said. But even before that, even more than that. Jesus wants your company. He doesn't want your good works without his life flowing through you. You know, when you get on a plane and the flight attendants, they give that spiel about, uh, about seatbelts, about safety cards, and about all that stuff. And, and then they get to the oxygen masks. And what do they say about the oxygen masks? If you're traveling with young children, please put the oxygen mask on your child first. And then, excuse me, I got that wrong. Please put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And then on your child. Why do they say that? They say that because if you don't, 
If you don't do that in that order, you're going to be useless. You're going to be passed out on the floor in your chair. In the same way, Jesus says, you must sit at my feet first. We've spent a lot of time in the Psalms over the years. And what is the language in those pattern prayers and those songs? What, what kind of What kind of action words do we hear a lot in the Psalms? Waiting, watching, listening, tasting, seeing, meditating, resting. Those those aren't words of efficiency, are they? Those are guilt-inducing words. At least that's the temptation. Like, like, We should be accomplishing something instead. You want me to just be still? You want me to just wait? Well, those psalmists, they they didn't live in the world that we live in, this dog-eat-dog world. Those were simpler times, were they? I mean, King David, he was a king, after all. He had a nation to run, a nation to rule. That's not an excuse. Jesus wants your company, not just your service. Well, perhaps you're already seeing why this is a good place for our hearts to be this morning. You and I are living in extraordinary, historic times, disruptive times that have upended the expected and the normal, that have replaced it with something new. No sports to watch. No March Madness. No Masters. No dinner parties to throw. No shows to attend. And not only that, but no soup kitchens that we can serve. No older people that we can safely visit. No neighbors that we can invite over into our home. For the sake of the gospel. Of course, we'll do what we can. And you are doing what you can. We're being as creative as we can as the church. But you know, maybe all that inefficiency, if that's what we want to call it. The the struggle to be doers. Maybe that's okay for a time. Perhaps Jesus wants, wants his people. Perhaps he's forcing us to slow down. To stop, to sit at his feet, to hear what he has to say, to listen well, to make him our portion, to reflect, to learn, to grow. It's all done here. That when all this is said and done, that hearts and lives that are full of Jesus, realigned and, and refreshed, will be energized then to go and do likewise as we never have done before. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of the mundane of a stay-at-home order, don't waste your quarantine 
Focus your hearts at the feet of Jesus. That's what I think his word wants to tell us this morning. That's what I think he wants to tell us this morning. And maybe you're listening here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Oh, you know the name, and, but you've never really examined the person, who he was and his claims. Your listening this morning is not an accident. God is after you. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to recognize that all the things plaguing all of us, the fear of the unknown, the lack of security, even death itself, they're all answered in him. He is the way and the truth and the life. Come to him. Learn from him. Sit at his feet. Make him your portion and be filled. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the voice of Jesus, for the invitation to sit at his feet, to learn from him. Father, I pray that you would take this word, that you would plant it deep in our hearts, that in the, in, in the midst of frustration about not being able to get what we want to get done, that we might take that as a gift, a blessing from you to slow down and to sit at the feet of our Savior. And for those who may be watching and listening to me, who this is all new and this is all confusing, Father, may this be for them the day of salvation as they realize that there is a risen Christ who offers hope and peace and life beyond pestilence, beyond the grave. Father, would you use this in their lives and in their hearts for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to sing one more song together with you. Before we do that, I want to just respond to God's word uh, using uh, one of our ancient, well, ancient's maybe too strong of a word, one of our older uh, documents from our heritage as, as Reformed believers, as those out of the Reformed tradition, the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 31, which is part of that section where um, it goes through... Um, the Apostles' Creed. And let me just ask the question and then you can respond in your homes with the answer and let this be uh, your, uh, your declaration and your, uh, your response and claim um, concerning who Jesus is. Why is he that is Jesus called Christ, meaning anointed? Together, because he has been ordained by God the Father, and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance, our only high priest, who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body, and who continually pleads our cause with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom that he has won for us.
Amen.